and worship. Our topic this morning, and of course, I must admit that I'm not a topical speaker, but because for the next few weeks, we are going to be tackling a, a, a subject of discipleship or disciple-making. This, or uh, today, we are looking at why disciple-making? Why devote three weeks to the topic? And I hope that by the time we're finished, we'll be convinced that it is important. Father, we just ask you now to further prepare our hearts to receive from you and help us, Lord, not to be hearers only, but that we will apply what we learn from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In addressing the, 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 the question, why disciple making? I'd like to direct us back to Genesis, not back, but I'd like to, to, to direct our attention to Genesis chapter one, where we find what is popularly known as the cultural mandate. Now, a mandate, as the dictionary will <clears throat> explain, is an official authoritative instruction or command that is usually given, as the word authoritative suggests, by someone who isn't he's superior, he's in charge or like a president, or like the Pope. I just read recently that when there was a falling out between Elizabeth of England and the Roman Catholic Church, that Pope Pius declared what is referred to as a bull, B-U-L-L declaring her as a heretic, excommunicating her, and at the same time, releasing uh, the, 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 her subjects from all loyalty to her. And that was carried out because of the authority of the Pope. Now, what we're looking at in Genesis chapter 1 comes from the highest of the highest. And verse 28 of chapter 1 says, God bless them. So this is a mandate referred to as the cultural mandate, God blessed them and said to them. Now, a mandate 
is usually non-negotiable. You don't get an opportunity to negotiate your way. You have no choice but to obey. And here is what God said. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, and, and over everything, every living creature that moves on the earth. That was God's mandate to Adam and Eve. That was now their responsibility. Now, you know what happened. How that what God desired did not happen immediately. Apparently what God desired was that the Garden of Eden would extend throughout the entire earth. And the conditions that existed in the Garden of Eden would be experienced by everyone beyond Adam and Eve. But of course, that did not happen. But since this was God's plan, and God wanted it to be carried out, God then went to, say, Abraham. And, it, and if you look at the covenant with Abraham, it is almost similar. Where God said, I'm going to bless you. And you are going to bless the world. I'm going to give you offsprings. They're going to be numerous. As the stars in the heaven or the sand on the, on the seashore. And God says that through your offspring. The whole world is going to be blessed. Of course that did not happen immediately. And then God went to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and he said the same thing. That after you die, one of your offspring is going to become king and he's going to establish a house forever. I'm going to establish a house forever for him and he's going to reign forever. Now that did not happen to Solomon nor any of David's sons. But when we come to the New Testament, we find that what was only promised in the cultural mandate became possible in what is referred to as the royal mandate that we conveniently call the Great Commission, where after Jesus died and rose from the dead, and on his way back to heaven, he said to those who he had ordained, there were 12 men that he chose, he ordained them, prepared them in order to send them out into the world to continue what he started. Because what Adam failed to do, what Abraham only did partially, what David failed to do, Jesus Christ fulfilled. Jesus Christ 
according to Paul writing in the to, to the Galatians said that when God when the Bible said that your seed, the seed that God is going to use to bless the world, is not Isaac or a number of persons, but one person, and that one person is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the cultural mandate. And as he was leaving, he said to his disciples, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Remember, God's plan was to bless the whole world. And now he's saying that you have the equipment. You have the means. You have the wherewithal for this mandate to be carried out. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. Bringing them under my leadership and teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. And so, because disciple making as expressed in Matthew 28, is God-ordained. It's coming, because remember, the, in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse, 80, verse 19 is preceded by verse 18. And in verse 18, Jesus says, All authority is given unto me. I now have authority to carry out God's plan. God's plan, which was stated in Genesis, repeated to Abraham, to David. Now I, I have that authority, but I'm going back to my father. And it is you who are going to implement this, execute this. But then he said, you wait until you are endued with power from on high. And when the power comes, you shall be witnesses unto me. Starting where you are in Jerusalem, extending to Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So that cultural mandate now becomes what I would prefer to call a royal mandate. Now, what is this disciple-making, that uh, discipleship that we are going to be talking about? It is the process by which a believer becomes what he what Paul said to the Colossians perfect in Christ in Colossians 1 27 and 28 Paul said we proclaim him that is Jesus Christ admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that 
we may present everyone. Now the emphasis on everyone. Perfect in Christ. Present everyone perfect in Christ. The same emphasis is stated in Ephesians chapter 4. Where he said, I have created a leadership structure made up of the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And here is it, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And here is where our text, chosen text, becomes applicable. Then, he said, when you attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, you will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the wave, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So disciple-making is the process by which believers who begin as infants, as babes in Christ, grow up to maturity, to experience for themselves the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul states here in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, especially chapters 1 and 2, how this is achieved. How, how the believer gets from infancy, from just conversion, to experience the fullness of Christ from the starting block, so to speak, to achieve this is intimidating in itself, but it's a goal that is set and he does not give us the opportunity to negotiate. We have no choice but to make ourselves available. In another forum a few days ago, we were talking about the same thing, but we use a different term. The term we used was spiritual formation. How does one grow? How does one get to 
attain using the words of scripture the fullness of Christ. Let's look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 4. Paul says, in fact, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, for he says, we know, and the we here is stated in verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We know, and I prefer the New Revised Standard Version, which says sisters and brothers, not only brothers, loved by God. We know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. So the first step or the first stage is a positive response to God's loving initiative. The term beloved of God is a very important word. When the Bible says we are foreknown by God, I think it is really saying we are foreloved by God. The word know in the Bible is a very interesting word. The Bible says Adam knew his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth. So the word know here connotes love. And here Paul is stating in the term beloved of God that discipleship begins with a positive response to God's loving initiative. So he says, this initiative came in the form of the gospel. And the gospel came with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. But then the next stage, or the next step, or the next ingredient, if you want to prefer that, or the next material, if you consider it like a building. It says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So, receiving 
are, are making a are giving a positive response to God's loving initiative is expressed in welcoming and accepting caring leaders as our text will confirm later on in our study. Welcoming and accepting caring leaders. Now, why is this important? Because this helps us to answer the question of why. Why disciple making? You see, according to Paul's teachings here, leaders play a twofold role. First role is as messengers of the good news. And of course, he was very careful to tell us how they behaved as messengers. Which we which we've read already. He says, I repeat, because our gospel came to you not with simple words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In other words, as we imitate God, you imitated us. And so you have become a model. You have become an example to others of what authentic Christianity is. But these leaders not only were messengers of the good news, but they were there to monitor the growth, spiritual growth of the believers. Because before we, well, he states here toward the end of this chapter that these people, these Believers were not always believers. They were idol worshippers. He says, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So these men were there to monitor their spiritual growth because they came into the community. They came into relationship with God with bruises, with abuses, with their brokenness, with their wounds, with their ignorance. And so they need to be taught, they need to be monitored, they need to be guided to move. Because in every situation, 
in every situation where there is growth, it comes in stages. You don't plant a seed and tomorrow morning it becomes a tree. And the next day it bears fruit. It goes in stages. And the stages has to be, I, I'm careful not to use the word manage because we cannot manage people. We can manage things, but we can't manage people, but we can monitor and guide them as the Apostle Paul did. So one, there's a positive response We continually remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your patience or endurance inspired by hope. These are the qualities, the new quality. These are people who were were, were, were pagans. They were idol worshippers. But now they have discovered the truth as the gospel is presented to them and their response produced faith. You know, the Bible says that if faith is the first step in our relationship to God, For by grace are you saved through faith. And faith is seeing the truth in the fact. But you're accepting the fact and you're committing your life to the, to, to the truth of the fact. You don't just believe intellectually, but you make your commitment. And that faith produces a work, a lifestyle, which is completely different and distinct. Your labor prompted by love. A love that frees us not only to love God, but to love one another. And your patience or endurance inspired by hope. So that more than twice in this one chapter, he talks about this anticipation this hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 10 says, And we wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised. So that, yes, the goal is to, is, is to attain, to experience the fullness, the full measure of the fullness of Christ, not just some or a part. But then that is not the end all because one of these days when Jesus comes, because now we, 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 
we we're just a part of this story that began with the beginning with Adam and culminated in Jesus Christ. And we now are in the implementation, the enjoyment, the fulfillment stage of things. And so, yes, we are enjoying fullness now. We are enjoying the victorious Christian living. But that is not ultimate sisters and brothers. What is ultimate is that one of these days we'll experience not only deliverance from the penalty of sin, deliverance from the power of sin, but we'll experience deliverance from the very presence of sin. When we are going to be in the presence of God, and the Bible says by that time we are going to receive a new body, a body fashioned like his, a body controlled by our spirit and not controlled by the circumstances around us. And so anticipation, we are waiting for that day when Jesus will come. In fact, in fact, the, 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 the theme that runs through first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians is the second coming of Christ, is the fact that Jesus is coming again. And that's one of the reasons why Paul wrote because in, in, in chapter 4, he deals with the, the problem that they had about members of the family who would have died before Jesus comes, what would happen to them, and what will happen to those who are left behind. And so he clears that up and says that, yes, repentance is necessary. Sanctification is necessary. but ultimate experience of the child of God is to be like Jesus. And I, I was about to say biologically. And I don't think I'll be wrong because the resurrection is going to be physical and we're going to receive a body like Jesus. What a wonderful day that will be when we find ourselves according to John knowing even as also we are known because we are now enjoying the full likeness of Christ. And so this is the ultimate goal of disciple making. Now, how do we apply this? Now, Paul says that gives us a glimpse of how he applied it. In chapter 2, and in the middle of verse 6, he says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children how we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel but our lives as well because you have become so dear to us what this is saying is that church 
should provide a loving, caring environment, which were morphed into an enabling community where believers will, will be assisted with facilitated to, to enjoy the fullness of Christ and, and who themselves will rise to their full potential. He says, like a mother caring for her little children. And I tried to pursue this into practical knowledge in my limited way. Because no matter how I try, I can't be a mother. But I had a mother. And I had a wife who was a mother. And so I could learn from that. And some of you listening to me are mothers. And you know what it takes to be a nursing, caring mother. How that you have to get sufficient and proper nourishment so that you can nourish your baby, your children, your child how that you have to prepare to make sacrifice. Because there is a point in time where the baby has this mind of its own and the baby just, you know, wants to be awake where maybe you want to be sleeping. And the baby just wants attention and you just have to give the baby that attention. You have to be gentle. And he says, we were gentle among you. Like a mother caring for her little children. And your church might be made up of all adults. But sometimes adults display juvenile behavior. And so we need to create that environment. I wanted to notice that Paul is not stressing individual responsibility as much as the communal responsibility. He says, we, as apostles, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you. And at this point, I want to, to, to correct a mistake where we, it, you know, it, there is the feeling that, well, let pastor do it. As if pastor is superhuman and pastor can do it on her own or, or his own. I think as Eugene Peterson says, that it takes the whole church to pastor the whole church. And the pastoral function is not just done by one person. 
the whole church should adopt this posture of pastoral, of pastoring, of caring for the young, like Jesus. The Bible says that, that like, but like the, the messianic figure in Isaiah chapter 40. It talks about him taking the, 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 the mothers, expectant mothers in his arm and taking care of the young. And so we, 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 we should adopt that attitude. When people come into our fellowship or entrust themselves to us, we need to be gentle and caring and loving them not only in word but indeed by giving our own lives as well to them because they they are dear to us we 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 we, we read here but then he went on to say in the next paragraph you are witnesses and so is god of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So in the, in the, in the previous paragraph, it's a mother, a nursing mother. And it's the same we, Paul, Silas and Timothy and these are men who they were not afraid to to identify themselves in feminine terms but now since in a nuclear family we need to have mother and father taking care of children he says that we were holy, righteous, and blameless among you, for you know how we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So remember some of the folk who might be in our fellowship and a part of this disciple-making process. Some of them might not have had the, 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 the benefit of a father and so they but they come to church and they need the benefit of a father they need the role model of a father they need the stern monitoring I, I, I like the way the messenger puts it he says the messenger says um it talks about holding hands um, and whispering words of encouragement. You know, as people struggle, church should be the place in this loving community where people can be encouraged, people can be can, can, can learn to focus on not only the past, well, the present, but then the future as they wait 
and, 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 and how I like the encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And, 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 and I, I even like what he says in another chapter where he says that I, we, we are going to take care of you. We're going to invest heavily in you because you know what? You are the ones who are going to make us stand proud. But, but I, I did say another chapter. It's right here in chapter 2 as we end the chapter. Verse 18. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped me. For what is our hope? Our joy our crown in which we will glory I, I i love this in the presence of our lord jesus when he comes is it not you indeed you are our glory and joy yes our sisters and brothers that will we will engage in mutual edification, building up, facilitating, monitoring, assisting. They will become our trophies, so to speak. They are the ones who are going to make us proud when we stand before God. Just like how Paul is, look, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are looking at the Thessalonians and say, when I when I see your work of faith, and when I see your labor of love, and when I see your patience of hope, I see evidence that this thing is working. I see evidence that God is pleased with us. And therefore, we are looking forward in anticipation for the coming of Christ. For then we'll be able to stand before him and we, we are going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because he'll be able to point to you as evidence of our faithfulness. And so, by way of application, we should make sure that we, we are creating a loving church, an enabling community with accountability links and that we establish what our corporate goals are and what our functions are in order to meet those goals because it's not just numerical, it's not just financial, it is spiritual and spiritual meaning the fullness of Christ and the likeness of Christ eventually when we, when Jesus Christ comes to take us to himself. May God bless his words to our hearts.